This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Welcome to the SM show that's all about what's working, what's not in stocks and markets. I'm Julian Ng, together with my colleague, Chung Han Tan, or Han for short. And today, our regular guest, uh, Dr. Suresh Ramanathan, independent FX strategist, join us. Suresh, uh, today we're going to talk about the short selling of government bonds. And the background of this is that uh, Bank Nagara clamped down on the so-called NDFs, or non-deliverable forwards, which are essentially side bets that investors make about weathering it is going to go. And uh, this was, uh, you can call this quite a successful initiative by Bank Nagara because because of this clampdown, the NDF trading had uh, died down by quite a bit, but also that led to uh, the bond market drying up because foreign investors without the facility of the NDF pulled out tens of billions of ringgit out of the local bond market. So before we move any further, Suresh, uh, can you just give us a b- brief background uh, give us a lowdown on what exactly short selling is. I mean, uh, if if it's short selling, what it means, uh, you sell first and then buy later. Sell first, uh, buy later. Yeah, so you the so the concept here is that you want to sell at a higher price and buy back at a lower price. Yes, right? exactly. And what is short selling used for? As I understand it, there are two applications to it. One is for hedging purpose, which is like an insurance policy. Yep. And the other one is for pure speculation. Yeah. I mean, you, you could look at it in both ways. Uh, one is actually for speculative purposes as well as actually for trading. But uh, the bond market trading itself, uh, the, it's, 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 it's quite different from the FX market because uh, when you buy a bond, you could put it in the books where you could hold it to maturity, uh, HTM, or you could even actually hold it for trading. So literally what the short-selling relaxation is, uh, the central bank is encouraging a lot of participants to move towards uh, from the maturity book towards the trading book itself. So That's what the central bank uh, mm-hmm. is moving to. And why do they want to do that? Why do, why do they want to encourage it's, more speculation? If, if you look at the feature of Malaysian government bonds, uh, which uh, encompasses uh, MGS, Malaysian Government Security Bonds, as well as the Islamic Papers, MGI, uh, which literally actually is 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 I would say controlled by the insurance firms locally, as well as the pension funds, Coop, mm-hmm. uh, EPF, uh, PNB, uh, Tabohaji. But most of these institutions they tend to actually hold on to papers which are longer dated maturities. Those are literally in the five years to fifteen years category itself. Uh, so that that comes under the hold to maturity part of it. Now, the ones which are shorter in duration, which is the ones like, you know, five years and below, three years and one year, uh, those are very liquid and is mostly uh, controlled by offshore flows mm-hmm. itself. Foreign so, investors. Yes, exactly. So what does that mean? When you say control, you don't mean that they're rigging the market, right? No, they're no, just, no. Not they're just, li- they're just very worthy participants buying yes, into these exactly, instruments. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And that's why the liquidity on the front end of the curve itself is a lot more ample compared to the back end. So a lot of people who trade on the five years and above, they tend to actually hold it towards maturity itself. Uh, so now with the relaxation, the what's actually happening is that the central bank is encouraging people to hold paper not to maturity but trade it itself. But, you know, this this is something which I, 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 I've been observing over the last few years is that uh, as much as issuance of papers come into the market uh, to finance the fiscal policy, uh, the moment you trade and then you make losses, uh, most invest, most of these institutions tend to shift it back into 
hold to maturity. They start looking at the yield and the price of the bond mm-hmm. itself. Mm-hmm. So that's why actually say, when you t- tend to make losses in your trading and your fixed income, you right away actually say, get into the, the risk committee and say, okay, now we are moving it towards actually maturity. So you don't have to mark to market every day. Or okay, at some point month. on yeah. this show, we've got to turn this, translate this in, into English, what, what you've just <laughs> said. Now, so what I'm gathering is essentially yeah. that, you know, as it stands, because of these measures, now it's these long-term investors who remain in the market, right? As opposed to the hot money, like the, the yeah. front end of the curve, right? Yeah. Okay, but then at the same time, when we look at Ben Negara's numbers, uh, you know, speaking about fund flows, if, despite the outflows from the Malaysian bond space, uh, there, there are still about $204 billion worth of Malaysian bonds being held by uh, by foreign investors. This is as of February last year. No, so isn't this you know perhaps a sign that the uh, at least in the bond space it has the fund flows have stabilized. I mean, would you come to that same conclusion? I, I in, would, despite those measures, you know, for a foreign foreign investor in the market itself, uh, there are two two key factors that are taken into account when you get into the bond market. One is liquidity of the paper itself. That's one thing. The second factor is the entry point at which currency level you come in. Now, if I had come into the market at three ringgit and 50 cents to the dollar and I had bought a three-year paper at roughly around 4% uh, MGS yield and uh, literally if the MGS yield goes up to 5 to 6%, I'm actually facing uh, losses on the price front on the paper. Because of the currency. Yeah. So yeah. now if the losses uh, offsets more than the weakening of the currency itself, I'm losing money. Uh, so the ringgit is trading at 450 now and I went in at 350 and I've also had losses actually close to around like more than that in the bond market. Literally, I wouldn't want to do anything at all. I will just keep it there in the market itself. Okay, yeah. so... so I, that's I, why you see it stabilized. I think we are, we are yeah. going somewhere here. We're going back yeah. to the original topic of discussion, which is uh, this uh, idea of why Bank Negara needs to have this short selling of bonds uh, to implement that uh, because that NDF market was an instrument that effectively allowed foreign investors to get out of Malaysian bonds before they can actually sell the thing, right? So yes. you make a sort of insurance policy, you lock it at a certain price yes. with those NDF uh, or these uh, side bets, IOU notes, right? You make that, you lock in a certain pricing then you look at the local market and you slowly sell off uh, those bonds. That avenue yeah. was closed off by Bank Negara yes. and now uh, this short selling uh, activity or facility is now being opened up by Bank Negara as a form of replacement for the NDF. Exactly. Is that right? Is this um, out of the fi- frying pan into the fire, in your opinion? Uh, uh- I would say that, you know, it's not from the frying pan to the fire. Uh, we are literally back in square one, as I said. Uh, because one is if you start actually tinkering or fingering the FX market, the bond market has a repercussion because uh, both go together. In most Asian markets, it moves together. It's not like a G10 market. The interest rate and the FX markets move together. In Malaysia's case, it's very, very classic because if you want foreign participation in your bond market, uh, you want to add liquidity, they take into consideration of the FX uh, for local investors, uh, because it's actually onshore, but as I said early, earlier, the, the feature of the investors locally are pension funds, mutual funds, asset managers, who tend to hold to maturity because they have an obligation to their investors. Mm. So they, they don't like to move towards the trading part of it 
they like to actually hold it to maturity. So this this ruling by Bangalore uh, relaxing that short selling uh, is actually trying to induce local participants to move to the front end curve and add the liquidity. But it is it will come at a cost because uh, there's a risk to a lot of investors who've actually invested in some of the asset management firms or even returns on some of the bonds that you may have to compromise, actually, because you tend to face losses if you actually move towards a trading environment because bonds are quite volatile as well. Mm-hmm. And you need the liquidity from foreign participations itself. So that's why I'm not sure how this relaxation or short selling on government bonds is actually going to be very helpful at all because if I'm actually buying an insurance or even buying uh, putting money in a long-term bond, it's a fixed income instrument. I expect a fixed income return at the end of the day. But if it's moving towards the short end, which which moves into a trading, uh, then uh, probably I have to actually take into account that I could be getting lower uh, returns at the end of the day. Okay, now just to make sure I'm absolutely clear here. So, you know, with this one measure of allowing short selling of uh, Malaysian debt, yeah. Uh, for foreign investors, it allows them to hedge yeah. uh, theoretically, and then for domestic invest, lo- local onshore investors, it moves them towards the front end of the curve, yeah. and it essentially uh, helps them move into the trading side of yes, things, right? Exactly. Okay. So now, isn't and it's lower interest rates, lower yields, uh, yes, lower yields, lower right? Yields, yeah. So, but wouldn't that be a, a good thing to put it really simply? Because then it encourages more liquidity, isn't that the idea? You know, the, the idea by the central bank was to add the liquidity right. to make it more vibrant. Now, the question is, uh, how can we live without foreign participation in the market? That's but there, the but there is still foreign uh, participation. There's yeah. still over 200 billion ringgit worth of Malaysian bonds held by foreign investors. Yeah. But they're not trading on it. They've just actually just kept it there, see? in the sense, because they're facing losses mark to market. So they need the ringgit to actually come down to below four, or even actually coming back towards 380 before they can actually engage on the trades itself again. So now it's literally in the books, but nothing's being done. Ah, so you're yeah. saying this yeah. short selling only goes so far. Ultimately, the bigger question here, or the bigger factor, yeah. is the ringgit channel. Yeah, exactly. That's oh. what I mean. So so if you want to make your bond market vibrant, you need to reactivate your ringgit market. So it's not the other way around where the bond market actually reactivates the ringgit market. It's the ringgit market that activates the bond market in Malaysia. Okay, we'll uh, talk more about this and we want to make some sense and translate into English. Uh, this, this very technical <laughs> language is speaking to our very learned guest, Dr. Suresh Ramanathan, an independent FX strategist, and we're talking about short selling of the Malaysian government bonds. We're, we'll be back with more BFM 89.9. You're listening to the SNM show that's all about what's working and what's not in stocks and markets. And today we're talking about the short selling of government bonds, a new regime that could be introduced by Bank Nagara. And our guest is Dr. Suresh Ramanathan, independent FX strategist. Now, Suresh, your argument is that foreign bond traders are needed in the domestic market so that uh, there is buying and selling activity so that uh, bonds can be priced correctly and uh, there's an avenue of for the government to raise funds whenever whenever they want to do so. And in the context of uh, the proposed uh, short-selling mechanism, how does this um, uh, not favour the development of markets? Because the world over, we we see that short-selling is quite a normal mechanism for any financial instrument. Yeah, it is actually. If you, Relaxation or short selling is always positive for the market. Mm. But it's actually a lot more, you get more bug for it actually 
when you actually introduce that policy with a lot of foreign participation. So what uh, is your solution? I mean, going if you don't like uh, this idea of short selling, although I, I just mm. feel that you're saying that no, it's not that you want to uh, do away with the idea of short selling, but it feels that you want something more out of this, yeah. right? Because if you if you look back the chronology of events ever since the ringgit moved above 440 uh, since November 18. Uh, we've been tinkering and experimenting with a lot of policies. Uh, mm-hmm. That's one thing. What, yeah. Like what? Yeah. what will uh, from readjusting with? that foreign exchange administration rules uh, to clamp down on the NDF markets now with relaxation and short selling. The key thing here is uh, you notice that you know all these policies are not needed at all in the first place. Why? If you just actually remove the foreign exchange administration rules once and for all. So that means let yeah. it go free for all for the trade. Yeah, of the exactly. So what you need is actually Zay, removing the foreign exchange administration rules or even simplifying them just to a level where actually you have foreign participation in the market and it gives them a liberty to actually hedge themselves onshore, even offshore as well. Get, get greater influence of them actually in the market. But unfortunately, we continue to tinker with the FEA rules and try to camouflage that actually every time actually there's a, there's a volatility in the currency of the bond market. So you notice actually after December 2nd when the central bank implemented policies, there was a 75 FAQs that was released by the central bank trying to explain the hedging mechanism. And now you're telling me actually there's a relaxation, short selling. So what was the 75 FAQs all about? Yeah, and I also understand yeah. they have done a workshop on this. Yeah. And Real quick, the uh, Forex uh, administration rules, that was in relation to the exporters repatriating their proceeds, that one, right? Okay, just to make sure I'm clear. But then at the same time, you say that, but before all these Uh measures came into place, we saw tremendous volatility in the ringgit, right? Uh And then now if you look at it, it has been stable or relatively stable, range-bound between 441 to 445 to the dollar, right? So isn't that considered a positive, a win for these policies? I mean, in support of these uh, policies proposed by Ben Nagara? Well, I'll give you an analogy, actually. Mm-hmm. We all heard this story, actually. The Titanic is sailing, hits an iceberg, <laughs> it breaks into half, and falls at the bottom of the ocean. So, if it falls at the bottom of the ocean, if it falls at the bottom of the ocean, has it stabilized? <laughs> <laughs> so you tell me actually. No, that's eh? pretty good, eh? Yeah. <laughs> so yes, the ringgit is stabilized. stabilized at the bottom of the ocean, literally. Yeah. But, uh, but don't you think that uh, the government or Bank Nagara has a responsibility to take care of very destabilizing speculative activity? If you go for a free for all, yeah. would that also harm the economy? No, I think I think that the first thing that you need to do is actually say the monetary policy objectives has to be clearly defined. Uh, if you look at the region itself, uh, uh, only two countries actually they have clearly. I mean, uh, two countries have multiple objectives in the monetary policy: uh, People's Bank of China and Bank Negara Malaysia. Every other central bank, from India right until to Indonesia and Singapore, they have a policy which is either for currency stability or to inflation target or even actually some sort of target of ultimate objective. But ours is multiple, from credit growth to property prices to inflation to currency. So there's no, they will say, I would say there's no cohesion in the in the objectives itself. So that's why we find that, you know, as what I was hearing earlier itself, is, is that inflation running at 4.5%, uh, at one point, and then ringgit is a trading at 445, 443, and so on. So you see, there's all these repercussions actually happening is because we don't have a single objective. What are we trying to target? Are we trying to target inflation or currency stability? 
So the, do you think the bank and garage should choose one? Okay, because essentially they have to, uh, I mean, uh, to put it really simply, they've got uh, three aims, right? Uh, either that headline GDP growth, yeah. inflation or currency. So in your opinion, which one should they focus on? I think the, the sensitivity of interest rates into the real sector is very crucial in Malaysia. So to a large extent, I would say you have to target inflation. Itself. Inflation. Inflation itself, yeah. So, okay, um, just, yeah. just something else on the wording of the press reports, which usually refer to allowing short selling for go- only government bonds and nothing is mentioned of corporate bonds. Corp- uh, what, what do you think uh, this uh, is corporate, corporate bonds sees very little participation from foreigners. I can tell but you why that. not just open it up? Uh, uh, because it's all denominated in local currency. Uh, that's one thing. Secondly, uh, the ratings of corporate bonds are rated by local rating agencies. So, you know, it, it doesn't actually... Because for a foreign investor, he'll be looking whether the corporate bond is rated by... S&P, Moody's or Fitch's, eh? So they can't put that in into their portfolios at all because it's uh, the methodology the local ratings actually eh, uh, use is, is slightly uh, different in, in the way it's actually managed by S&P, Moody's and so on. So, and also the currency risk that is involved. So that's why actually you don't see foreign participation in uh, corporate bonds. But what you notice is... Uh, Corporate bonds, uh, which are dollar-denominated, uh, that actually takes a lot of uh, participation by foreigners, like Petronas mm-hmm. Papers and so on. Yeah. So those should yeah. be allowed uh, for short selling as well? Uh, you know, the thing is that it's a corporate bond, so it's it's quite risky to to allow or relax that on that part of it. But government bonds is very liquid. So in the sense like three years and five years, MGS, very liquid. So the relaxation of the short selling was, was quite positive. But... My concern is you should have actually relaxed this for offshore investors as well, just just not local participation, mm-hmm. is it? Mm-hmm. But then, so yeah. I mean, uh, but again, uh, if we are to just mm-hmm. go back to the NDF, you know, uh, again, it yeah. doesn't seem so appealing given the kind of turmoil and volatility that uh, yeah. uh, that was translated into the ringgit, right? So I mean, really, okay, I know you're a proponent of you know going back to just you know allowing these foreign mm-hmm. entities to trade in yeah. NDF, but you know, I mean, help us, you know assess and self-regulate here. What would be the pitfalls if you were to go back to that? You know, um, the, the, if, you, if you're actually allowing NDF trades, uh, you could kill off the market very easily, uh, which Thailand successfully did uh, in 2008, mm. was to allow uh, to a certain extent of convertibility of the ringgit in the offshore market itself. So once you have ringgit trading offshore to a certain extent to, or to, uh, with the threshold level itself, the NDF market faces a natural death. Uh, people would not want to use the NDF at all because mm-hmm. the problem now the NDF is in existence is because the ringgit is not convertible in the capital account. So, And to a large extent, there's no supply of ringgit in the offshore market. So that's that's the main problem. So if you're asking me why am I proposing that actually the NDF market be there, yes, I, I don't mind it's being there, but the next stage is actually if you want to finish off the NDF market is to let your ringgit convertible. Uh, okay. And that's why Thailand doesn't have an NDF market at all. Uh, they have an okay. offshore Thai but market. Just, uh, so just to uh, tie this all up before we conclude, uh, just a very basic question now. Where do you think the bond market would go, uh, local bond market would go on the back of all these uh, new regulation that's coming onto the market? Uh, will the fixed income investors be in a fix right now? Uh, one, if, if you're actually holding it to maturity, no. Because if no you look problem. At the, yeah, if you look at the yields, it's pretty attractive. That's one thing. If you're moving towards trading, yes, probably would face losses. But 
an interesting point to look at is uh, given where the ringgit is trading, uh, the yields across the tenor itself is pricing in a certain risk premium of the currency itself. So that's why the yields are pretty attractive because the currency is weak. So if you really want to participate on hold to maturity papers itself, yes, I think Malaysian papers give you a good, decent deal itself. The question is actually it's the ringgit. So, if, but you could see greater participation if uh, the ringgit strengthens uh, immediately. Then you see a lot of offshore flows coming to the market. Yeah. Suresh, thank you so much yeah. for joining us again. And that was Dr. Suresh Ramanathan, independent FX strategist, talking to us about new rules on short selling of government bonds in Malaysia. I'm Julian Ng, together with Tan Chung Han, signing off now for the SNM show, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.